0: Our song of invitation, I actually wish I'd been kind of standing down front so that maybe I could have seen the reflection on some of your faces. Uh, Our song of invitation is not a typical song of invitation. The greatest commands. I don't know as I've ever heard it used as a song of invitation. But I'm sure that the reason why will be a lot clearer when we get done with this morning's lesson because our morning's lesson focuses upon and centers around that very song. I'm not sure when I first heard that song sung, The Greatest Commands. But I do know this. I loved it from the start. It's a beautiful, beautiful, biblical, just wonderful, wonderful song. And there's there's nothing quite like hearing it at Green Valley with all of the young folks just just, just putting those young voices out there and, and hearing it in the valley and the parts, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful song. The greatest commands. And I hope that from the youngest to the oldest, whether it's at Green Valley, here, affirming the faith, gospel meeting, wherever you hear that song from now on, whenever you sing that song, I, I really hope that every one of you will remember some part of this lesson this morning on that very song. It is beautiful obviously not only for its harmony and its blending of musical tunes and tone, but it is beautiful first and foremost for the spiritual harmony which can come from it from its blending of biblical texts and truths. For some reason I thought the title of that song at some point previous, was the greatest commandment. But it's not. It's the greatest commands, at least in our songbook. And the reason why it's called the greatest commands is because it's a culmination. It's comprised of a number of different biblical texts on love written by a number of different writers in the Bible: Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul. It's, it's a blending of all that they said. The title of that song, The Greatest Commands, as well as the first line or the soprano line, were the words spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself when he was here, God in the flesh, as was heard from him and then taken and later reported and recorded by Matthew in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 by Mark in chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and by Luke in chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. I would ask that you take out your Bibles this morning and we'd actually look at Mark's account in Mark chapter 12, if you would with me, please. Examine where the first line of that song came from, the soprano line. Mark chapter 12. We will be beginning in verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, First commandment, the the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Which reminds us, obviously, of another song we sing. Jesus says, this is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribes said to him, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there's no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbors, oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw he'd answered wisely, said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. If we look at that, and if we were to go and study Matthew and Luke's account, again, we would see the sentiments expressed in the first line, or the alto- uh, the soprano line of that, song. The second line that the Altos sing comes from the Apostle John's writing in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, which are worded as follows. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, as I read those words out of the inspired text, how many of you can kind of hear the part? You know, you can kind of hear that, right? The third or tenor line is simply a repeat of the latter part of 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And the fourth line that the basses sing, we know from a very familiar text from the Apostle Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, wherein... In verse seven, he writes that love, as the base verse says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, of course, as we talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for just a moment in reference to that fourth verse, or the baseline, that comes at the close of Paul's admonition to the Church of Christ in first century Corinth, which was badly divided. They, were, they could. Have you ever noticed the church in Corinth couldn't get anything right? You go through that, they couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right. I mean, they had everything messed up. One of the biggest messes they had was their infighting over who had the greatest gifts, and Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to show them the most excellent way, and that is to love. It's something that every member of every congregation of the Lord's Church needs to understand that if you can love like like Paul is talking about you have the greatest gift that there was in verses 4 through 7 the English Standard Version reads of 1 Corinthians 13 love is patient and kind love does not envy or boast it's not arrogant or rude It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is a beautiful, beautiful description of the powerful expression of love, That is a beautiful definition of the outward extension of godly love, but, but, what about the inner, what about the inner heart and soul? What about the essence, the inner essence of what true and godly love really is or really comes from? What is love? at its deepest and most intense essence, at at its heart and soul on the inside, what is love? What is love? I'm going to tell you what it is. Love is a commitment. (laughs) Love is a commitment to give and to serve and to sacrifice one's self willingly for the good of another. That's why it's kind and patient and all those other things on the outward expression thereof because inwardly this is what love is and its heart and soul this is what it is. And this, this slide and, and what you see up there, this, this capsule definition is not just a nice little practical definition of what godly love is at its heart and soul, but instead it is a very accurate, condensed definition of what agape love is. Agape love like we see in the scriptures. Agape love, which Vine's expository dictionary of biblical words defines in part as follows. Vine says this about agape love, and and see if this doesn't summarize it. Vines says, agape is used in the New Testament, A, to describe the attitude of God toward the human race. Is that right? John 3, 16. Agape love is used, A, to describe the attitude of God toward the human race, John 3:16. B, to convey his will to his children, Concerning their attitude toward one another, John 13:34, you will recall in John 13 where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, where he got down and, and he washed the filth from between their toes and he washed their feet. And he said to them afterward in John 13:34, "Love one another even as I have loved you. And finally, Vines says, that agape is used in the New Testament, not only in John 3.16 and John 13.34, uh, but it is used, C, to express the essential nature of God, 1 John 4.8, which is the tenor line of our song, The Greatest Commands, to express the essential nature of God. Isn't that who God is? God who has committed and was committed to giving and to serving and to sacrifice himself willingly on the cross for our good. Isn't that who God is? God is love. Vines continues. Love can be known. Listen to this. Two paragraphs. This is really good. Vines continues. Love can be known only from the actions. It prompts. God's love is seen in the gift of his son, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Notice how so many of these references in Vines keep coming back to our song, right? But obviously, this is not the love of complacency. That is, it was not drawn out of any excellency in its objects, Romans 5, 8. Vines is telling us, look, God didn't love us because we were worth it. Vines continues, it was an exercise of the divine will in deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. What is Vines saying? God made a choice not because we deserved it but because that's who he is. That's what love does. Christian love, final paragraph from Vines, Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations. In other words, it's not what we would naturally necessarily do. Nor does it spend itself upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. In other words, godly love doesn't just love those who are worth it. Or who deserve it or who have earned it that's not real love love seeks the welfare of all Romans 15 2 and works ill to no one Romans 13 8 through 10 love seeks opportunity to do good to all men and especially toward them or that are them that are of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. Please notice, love is an action word. It seeks to do good. Vines had earlier said, love can only be known from the actions it prompts. So, I wanna take a look this morning at how true and godly love, at its, at its purest and most basic level, in its most intense essence is exactly this, a commitment to give and to serve and to sacrifice oneself willingly for the good of another. Love is, first and foremost, a commitment to give. We have those three terms this morning. Number one, love is a commitment to give, a commitment to give to give oneself up for the good of another isn't the best-known verse in the Bible doesn't it say exactly that for God so loved that he gave to love is to give it's very simple God made a commitment to give his son for sinners A commitment he made before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and verse 4. A commitment he kept despite the hostility of the world, Matthew 21, 33 through 39. A commitment he carried out knowing the unworthiness of the world, Romans 3 and verse 23. To love is to give oneself up, to give, to love is to give. The Apostle Paul knew what a violent, horrible, scoundrel, persecutor, sinner, evil, blasphemer, and killer he was, according to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. But he also understood that even when he was like that, the love which saved him, the godly love which saved him, was first and foremost a love which gave itself up for the good of somebody even like him. He says this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified, which reminds me of another song we sing. (laughs) It's song morning, right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave himself. Love is a commitment to give. God loved me, Paul said, and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. Now, can you even begin to, to appreciate, imagine, what understanding this one concept by itself and taking it to heart and implementing just that one element, that one single little element right there of godly love that always willingly gives itself up for the good of the other, would do if it were that way in the context of every one of our marriages, in our homes. Can you imagine what that one concept alone, if every young person that got married understood that one concept alone, that love is not a commitment to see what I can get, but a commitment to give oneself up for the good of another. Can you imagine what that would do to the divorce rate in this country? Think about it. And then understand this God never intended for that, what I just said, to be something that we would only have to imagine. God meant that to be a reality that was experienced and enjoyed in our marriages every minute of every day. Did you know that? God didn't want me to stand up here and say, Can you imagine what that would look like? God wants us to know what it looks like, He wants us all to experience that concept in our marriages, that that's what real love is. Matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. Let me take you to the text. Don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're talking about just one relationship here, not so many others. Ephesians chapter 5. Remember, to love is to give. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk, watch this, In love, as Christ also has loved us and what? Given himself. To love, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, is to give oneself up for the good of another. If we move on, as he talks about this throughout the rest of the chapter, we look in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. thing. The term submit in verse 22, the word subject in verse 24, both of those terms are synonymous with surrender or give yourself up to give yourself to the husbands. when he gets the husband's he makes it even clearer that to love is to give and to give on a on a on a level that is almost unimaginable look what he says in verse 25 it's even clearer here that to love is to give in this way husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and what gave himself for her pretty clear isn't it to love is to give yourself up for the good of another. Love is not only, number one, a commitment to give, but it is number two, a commitment to serve. To love as God wants us to love is not only to give ourselves up for the good of another but to serve another instead of myself. Turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 10. We'll see these two terms are synonymous. They cannot be separated. Deuteronomy chapter 10 would you turn there please two verses Deuteronomy 10 12 and eleven thirteen. 13 Deuteronomy 10 12 says love hearing those pages turn Deuteronomy 10 12 and now Israel what does the Lord your God require notice this is not a suggestion it's a requirement of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Do you see that? To love him is to serve him. Love and service cannot be separated. To love is to serve another instead of myself. Look with me quickly in Deuteronomy 11. Very next chapter, look at verse 13. To love and to serve are synonymous terms. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. You can't separate love from service because at its heart and soul, love means to serve another in whatever relationship that is. To serve another instead of myself. To serve another in spite of myself, to serve another, despite the cost to myself. It is a commitment to serve and put others and their needs first and instead of, and even at the cost of my own personal peace, my own personal comfort, my own personal preferences and wants and desires. Can't separate it. Such selfless, not selfish, such selfless, self sacrificing, self ignoring, and others focused serving and giving are synonymous. Look with me in the New Testament in Mark chapter 10. We will see this. They're inseparable they're all part of the same love Mark chapter 10 we know the story in verses 35 through 40 we understand what's going on there James and John sons of Zebedee they want special places at the table uh, in his kingdom rest of the disciples find out and there's problems look at verse 41 when the ten heard it Mark 10 and verse 41 they began to be greatly displeased with James and John but Jesus called them to himself and he said to them you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant watch this and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all here it comes for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give. There it is. Love is a commitment to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. Why did he do that? He did that because God so loved the world. To truly love somebody else is to give up yourself it is to give up yourself give of yourself and give fully to somebody else instead of yourself that's what love is it's not a feeling it's a commitment to do that to give up yourself give of yourself and give yourself fully to another or to the service of another instead of yourself. Let me show you a contrast where you can see how this works in a church. Turn with me to Galatians 5, would you please? Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to contrast a couple of different sections of Scripture. Galatians 5 is the first one. Remembering again, love is a commitment to serve. Galatians 5. Look at verses 13 through 15, keeping this in mind. For you brethren, Paul writes to the first century churches of Christ in Galatia, for you brethren have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What is love? Love is a commitment to serve. Through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. He said, look, if you're going to put yourself first and you're going you're to just put yourself first out there all the time and everybody else does the same thing, you're just going to bite and devour one another into extinction. He said, that's not love. Through love, serve one another. Don't bite and devour one another. Don't put yourself first. That's not love. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we see the way it should look. This is real love, to serve another first, to put somebody else first, always. Philippians 2, beginning at verse three, look what it says. This is what it looks like. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. We should look at every other member of this congregation as more important than we are, whoever we are. That's what that means. If I consider that every other member of this congregation I'm looking at this morning, and the ones that aren't here, if I esteem them more highly than myself, then it means that I'm going to serve. And I'm going to do everything I can to take care of as many of them as I can, whatever their need is. That's what love does. Isn't that what that picture up in the upper left-hand corner is all about by God himself? Isn't that exactly what he did? Look at the rest of it. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who basically came and went to the cross. Why did he do that? Because he was committed to serving our needs instead of his own. That's why he did it. That's what love does. Brethren, True and godly love does not ask, true and godly love does not ask, what have you done for me lately? True and godly love asks, what have I done for you lately? True and godly love does not ever ask the question, what's in it for me? But says, what can I put into it for you? True and godly love does not ever ask, well, how come you didn't do thus and such for me? But questions instead, how come I didn't do thus and such for you? That's what real love does. True and godly love does not get angry, or bitter, or ask how come somebody else did not call me, or visit me, or send me a card when I was sick and struggling, but instead, It gets angry and upset at itself whenever it fails to call or visit or send a card. Why didn't I think to send that person a card when they were ill? Why didn't I go and minister to them? Godly love doesn't ask or get angry because it wasn't something done for it. True and godly love gets angry because it did not do enough for somebody else. Paul had said, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, Which is exactly what we're talking about is not provoked thinks no evil years ago I had a Bulletin Digest article that I just loved and kept and the title of it was turn it around and this is what it said goes really well with these sentiments this morning some of you may remember this phrase ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country how many remember mr. President Kennedy This article goes on to say, this challenge, made famous during the Kennedy presidency, suggests a like principle which should guide every Christian's attitude toward the church. We should be less concerned about what is being done for us and far more attentive to what we are doing for others. Ask not, therefore, whether this is a good and loving congregation of which to be a member, but ask instead whether I am a good and loving member of this congregation. Ask not, therefore, how much am I loved here? But instead, how much love have I shown to others? Ask not, therefore, how many get well cards I have received, but how many get well cards have I sent out to others who were sick? Ask not therefore who visited me, but whom and how many have I visited. Ask not therefore how much do I get out of Bible classes. You ever had anybody quit the church? Say, I just didn't get anything out of class. Ask not therefore how much do I get out of Bible classes, but how much do I contribute to making Bible classes interesting and edifying. Ask not, therefore, whether my name was mentioned in public prayer, but whether or not I faithfully prayed for other people. Ask not, therefore, who didn't speak to me, but how many people did I speak to? Ask not, therefore, whether my good work is recognized, but whether or not I have given honor to whom honor is due and recognized their efforts. Ask not, therefore, to what extent my good deeds in the church work have profited me now, but how will my life be remembered when I'm gone by my brethren? <laughs> Once had a lady in the church, been a member of the church, different congregation than here. For years, we had a discussion, I think it was in Bible class, if I remember correctly, it was a while ago, about foot washing. And her response was, and it was similar sort of lines as, as this sermon, and her point was, you can wash my feet. I thought, she's missed the entire point. <laughs> Apparently, my communication skills are not what they once were. Most simply stated, true and godly love is not a me and my needs focused, but always another and their needs focused essence first and foremost which brings us to our third and final element of true and godly love. True and godly others instead of me agape love which God has for us. It's not only a commitment to give and a commitment number two to serve but it is number three, a commitment to sacrifice oneself willingly for the good of another dot, 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 even if they don't deserve it. Did you catch that? I didn't put that up here. But it's just important. True and godly love is a commitment to sacrifice oneself willingly for the good of another, even if they don't deserve it. That is precisely what Jesus Christ did, isn't it? Did he not sacrifice himself for those who did not deserve it? He sure did. God is love. Jesus is God. Jesus, therefore, is love. Listen to these texts in light of this. Jesus said in John 12, 27, and 28, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What's he saying? I'm ready to go to the sacrifice. What am I going to tell tell God? No, I'm not willing to sacrifice that much in love. No. Father, let's do this. Later on, after he finished praying to his father three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, John chapter 18, verses 3 through 8 says then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, "Whom are you seeking?" They answered him, "Jesus of Nazareth." Jesus said to them, "I am he." And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, "I am he," they drew back and fell to the ground, and he asked them again, "Whom are you seeking?" They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he, he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. What was Jesus' point? Jesus' point was, I'm going to sacrifice myself for their good. Their good is what matters more to me than mine. He was committed to sacrificing for their good. Immediately after that, the apostle Peter takes out a sword, and he seeks to defend Jesus. Matthew 26, 53 and four, Jesus said, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen that way, must happen that way? What's Jesus saying? I'm willing to make this sacrifice. I'm going to make this sacrifice. For God so loved you and me that he gave. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And to sacrifice because that's what love does it was that same Apostle Peter writing years later that same Apostle Peter who had drawn the sword out and been reprimanded by our Lord who would write in 1st Peter 2 verses 21 through 24 for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps Who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously and himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree love sacrifices a love that does not sacrifice itself for the good of another is not love it's something less the Apostle Paul would explain those same exact sentiments in places like Romans 12, 1 through 21. And I hope you go home later. I'm not going to turn there because it's too long. But, but I, I hope you go home this afternoon. If, if you don't do anything else biblically this afternoon, read Romans 12, just the entire chapter. It's only 21 verses. How godly love, which we must have in show for one another, must be one that sacrifices itself for someone else. If you go home and read Romans 12, 1 through 21, you'll find out that love is a giving, serving, living sacrifice. Another place that I would go is a passage we've already visited once, but go back with me to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, if you would. Again, proving that love is a sacrifice. Sacrifice oneself willingly for the good of another. Look again, quickly, in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Look what it says. The word's actually there. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given, there's the giving, himself for us, and offering in a what? A sacrifice to God. He goes on to explain that whole sacrifice thing even further in the rest of chapter five and the beginning of chapter six. Why do I get through all this today? Because I love that song. <laughs> But also to say this, the point of today's lesson is not just an in-depth explanation of what this godly giving, serving, and self-sacrificing agape love looks like, but also instead to stress this, it is the kind of love, all of those attributes, that we must have, it's not an option, that we must have for one another if we expect to go to heaven. Did you know that? It's not optional. It's not optional. It must be the constant and continual real and sincere possession and exhibition of this kind of love if we fully expect to go to heaven. Let me prove it to you, please. Turn with me in your Bibles, final chapter of the morning, 1 John chapter 4, please. 1 John chapter 4, try to hear the text of the scriptures and not the tune of the song as we read these first couple of verses. 1 John 4, verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Not talking about any old kind of love. It's talking about the kind of love we've talked about this morning. He who does not love, obviously in that way, does not know God, for God is love. Then look what he goes on to say. In this, the love of God was manifested or made known to us, manifested toward or made known to us. That God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. He sacrificed his Son for us. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. That's the embodiment of love. That's what it is. It's a love that gives and serves and sacrifices itself for the good of another. That's exactly what God did. He did it for people that didn't deserve it. It wasn't because they merited it. It was because of who he is and so he did that and then it says in verse 11 beloved if God so loved us if he loved us like that as we've talked about we also ought to love one another but he goes further look in verses 16 and following of this same chapter and we have known and believed the love that God has for us God is love by the way first John 4 8 is not the only place in this chapter it says God is love it says it again in verse 15 God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Don't miss that verse. As what gives us boldness, as we face deathbeds, as we face eternity, As as we face the end of our lives, as we get older and we get to that point, what gives us boldness in the day of judgment? What makes it okay for us to face the judgment? What gives us hope and confidence? Is that we have lived like Jesus is. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Is Jesus a Savior? that gave of himself, served others, and sacrificed himself, is that who Jesus is? What gives us confidence in the day of judgment as because we are in this world what he is. What is he? He's those three things. So if we're those things in this world, if we exhibit the love of God because we know God and we're God's children, that gives us boldness. That's what John says here on the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. If we're truly living like Jesus, if we're exhibiting the kind of love that Jesus had every day, if we're loving and we're in the sense that we're we're giving ourselves up, we're serving others, we're, we're sacrificing ourselves for somebody else, if we're exuding that all the time, we don't have to fear. It's judgment Day. We love him because he first loves us, loved us. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Bible's pretty straightforward on this. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment, notice it's not optional. God didn't say, hey, here's a good suggestion. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Let us remember here in a couple of minutes when we sing the song, the title is The Greatest Commands. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Now, I have two things to say before I give the final invitation. Number one, as we sing this song, it's a beautiful song, We begin with one group. Not the whole church, singing together, one group. Then we add a group, then we add a group, right? Four groups. That's the way the song's written, right? And this song is beautiful in that first verse. Even though there's only a small part, a portion of the congregation singing it, that first verse is beautiful. What happens when we add the second verse? Gets even more beautiful, doesn't it? And that song reaches a crescendo, and it reaches its power, and it's most effective when all the church is singing at the top of their lungs and we're all doing the same thing, right? All four parts, in harmony and unity. Is that not correct? This means yes, this means no. Okay, that's correct, right? Okay, good. Brethren, love's the same way. The church is a beautiful place. When you've got one small pocket of people that's loving like they ought to, it's a beautiful place to be. But you know what? When you get another section of people, and they join that first section of people, and they're living in unity and harmony, and they're coming together, and they're expressing what godly love is, guess what? The church is even more beautiful. Then you pick up that third quarter of the church. You pick up that other group that decides they're going to start living and loving and serving and giving and sacrificing to themselves for everybody else, and you got three quarters of the church doing it, and it is just the most beautiful place to be. Church does not reach its full power and potential and beauty until every single member has joined in loving that way. If you don't believe that's true, in a moment when we sing a song, just listen. This morning, maybe you're somebody that's not accepted the sacrifice of Christ by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. How can you say no to such a great love, a love that was willing to come and, and give of himself and, and, and serve and sacrifice on your behalf? This morning, if you've never been baptized into Christ and accepted that love, we'd love to have you do that. Maybe there's somebody here that You've accepted that love, but you're having problems extending that kind of love to somebody else, and you need the prayers of the church. You know you need to love more. You know you you need to give more of yourself. You know you need to serve more when these opportunities come up, but you just haven't quite had it in you. But you you know from this morning that, that real love serves and gives and sacrifices itself, and you say, I just need the prayers of the church. I want to be a better servant. Maybe you've accepted it. Maybe you've extended it. Maybe you're somebody here this morning who needs to experience it on a greater level, and by that I mean this, somebody who's struggling with life and really need your brothers and sisters to pray for you and to surround you and, and love you and give to you and, and, and sacrifice for you and be there to hold you up because you're having trouble yourself holding yourself up. This morning if you need to accept that love in baptism extend that love you need more prayers to be able to do that better or you need to experience that love if we can help in any way come to the front now as we stand and sing about the greatest commands